I want to inspire people, not just motivate them. People can be motivated by rewards, money, promotion. So you have rewards for behavior. That's motivation. Inspiration is the rewards you get for doing something important, for taking on something risky, for doing something really hard where the reward doesn't seem worth the effort, but we want to do it anyway because it's worthy of our talent. It's worthy of our company. It's worthy of our team. We want to do something really valuable. Leaders face challenges every single day. That's why Udemy Business is bringing you a new podcast called Leading Up. I'm Alan Todd, the host of Leading Up and Vice President of Udemy Business. In every episode, I have conversations with guests who share the inspiration, advice, and research you need to level up. Let's work, lead, and live differently. We're living in uncertain times, but here's the thing. We never truly know what the future might hold. That's why we need leaders at every level of business who can paint a compelling picture of the future that inspires everyone to get on board. Today's guest is the master. I'm thrilled to welcome Dave Potrick to the podcast. Dave was the CEO of Charles Schwab. He's written two best-selling books on leadership and change. He teaches an incredibly popular course at the Wharton School of Business, where we met many years ago, and was my colleague at Corp U, where he was our founding investor and chairman of the board before we were acquired by Udemy. Dave, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Alan. It's a pleasure to be with you today. So, Dave, you've had an extraordinary career. Let's start right with the beginning. CEO, bestsellers, multiple teaching awards at an Ivy League. Can you sort of back us up and tell us how that all come about? Well, it surprises me looking back, Alan, as much as it surprises you. You know, when I grew up, I didn't know a single business person. I lived in a blue collar community. My father was a factory worker. And the only white collar job I knew was being a teacher. So I thought I was going to be a teacher. And I got recruited for as a football player to the University of Pennsylvania. I, I didn't go to the Wharton School as an undergraduate. I was in the liberal arts school and I was studying education. And that is what I thought I was going to do with my life, be a teacher and a football coach. Well, then I started dating this woman whose father was a businessman. And he told me about his business. And what I learned was, I thought business was about shuffling paper. And then I learned business is about competing. It's about winning. It's about recruiting. It's about building a team. Those things all appeal to me. So when I graduated as an undergraduate, I immediately enrolled in the MBA program at Wharton and started learning the business skills I would need to become a businessman and hoping someday I would be worthy of being a business leader. That's how that happened. Yeah, I remember one time you told me, Dave, you saw the big buildings in New York City and you thought to yourself, I wonder what all those people do over there. Yeah, these giant buildings and they're full of people and they're doing, what are they doing exactly? They're just shuffling papers. So that that didn't have much appeal to me. You know, sitting at a desk all day long didn't have much appeal. And then I learned it's about it's about teamwork. It's really about working with people. It's about being part of a team. It's about leading a team. It's about following someone else who's the leader. It's about painting a vision of winning in the future. 
And those things, oh man, that's what I wanted to do. What were the things you did that made you the CEO, right? That got you there. And then when you become the CEO, what are the leadership skills? Like, what's the difference? Yeah, well, first, I, as part of a team, I needed to learn what I call leading from the middle, where you're not the official leader, someone else is the leader, but you are sort of gathering the team around you to take the hill, to take the next challenge, to accomplish whatever it is you need to accomplish. And you're role modeling the behavior everyone else needs to be a part of. You're asking questions rather than trying to answer all the questions so that other people have a chance to also be a part of the process of going forward. And so this leading from the middle before you're the leader is something you need to learn to do to earn to be worthy of then getting the official title uh, of being a leader. Yeah. So a lot of people listening are not leaders, but they aspire to leadership, right? So they're there, they're working. And so a lot of what you talked about, I want to know how, how does that fit in today's organization where it's a matrix organization and you work on all these different teams, you have to influence people from all over the company to just get your job done. This whole idea that you, that you call leading from the middle, like are there some techniques or some things that you did that people could apply tomorrow? Yeah, I think so. And let me say that I wasn't always good at this. You know, I, I wanted to lead from the front and leading from the middle requires a certain degree of humility. It requires a certain degree of patience. But the more I could learn patience to put it in practice and the more I could practice and embrace humility, then the better I did. If you're trying so hard to be the leader that you sort of jump in front and say, follow me, everybody resents you. They don't, they don't want to follow me kind of guy who's not really the leader. They, they want someone who's asking the great questions and letting other people shine as they answer the questions helping others promote themselves, enabling others to succeed is how you earn the right to step forward and be recognized. And it's a subtle thing. And as the person actually doing it, it's easy to worry, gee, am I being recognized? But if you have someone leading your team who knows what they're doing, they know who's actually leading from the middle to help that team move forward. And that's how you earn those promotions. And as I started to learn about this more and more, I did better and I moved forward much more easily. It seems easy to ask questions and, and listen and let them all get the credit, but it seems like that's really, really hard to do, Dave. Like in practice that, you know, it, maybe we're all not born to be leaders. Like, isn't that way harder than it sounds? It's really hard because a lot of times, you know the answer. You know the answer and you want to tell it. People sometimes know that you know the answer. So it's not so important that you answer the question. Tom, you and I were talking about this yesterday. Why don't you share with everyone what you told me? And you're inspiring others to speak. And that kind of more subtle form of leadership is what others will admire and you have to embrace this term to be worthy of leadership, to be worthy of the mantle of leadership means that you have to bring out the best in everyone else, not by telling them what to do, but by inspiring them to want to give their best. 
And that inspiration, I think, comes from letting them shine, letting them be in the spotlight, helping them do those kinds of things. You and I have talked about this over the years, but just the idea about being driven and disciplined. And I want to kind of go back on that because I'd like to just tease out the lesson for someone early in their career. What would your advice be? I think that we all waste a lot of time. I think we we spend time doing things that we look back and say, what, why, did I, why did I do that? I think you have to be really relentless about how you schedule your time. I mean, very few people, you know, schedule, you know, this two hours, spend time with children. You just think you're going to do it and then you don't do it. I think you have to be relentless. And I have worked at that to be better at actually scheduling almost everything into your calendar that you're going to want to do. If you certain time for phone calls, certain time for email returns, certain time to read stories to my children before bedtime. If you don't block out the time, I worry that you just go on to the next thing that pops up in your inbox and that consumes you when really it's not the most important thing and you need to find a way to, to strive to understand how important it is that your time, you never get the time back, that it's gone. And I think we have to be more disciplined about that. And that's what I'm trying to do now. My calendar is full, even though I'm a mainly retired guy at this stage, my calendar is full, but it's full of phone calls to this person, time with this person, everything that I'm doing to try to fit in all the things I'm trying to fit into my life. So if you were going back now and you were in your 20s or 30s, you'd uh, focus more on the schedule and would you schedule those things that are important but not urgent, like reading to the kids and stuff? Yes, that's exactly right. You have these things you have to do and they start to fill up your whole calendar and suddenly the other things you have to do or want to do or should do uh, get squeezed out. So let's talk about your point of view on leadership. How's that changed over the years, right? So compare you know, Dave Patrick today and your leadership point of view, I'm sure that it's evolved and I know that it's evolved. I'm wondering, can you talk about how it has evolved? Well, sure. Real leadership is about patience and humility. And I would have never said that when I was in my 40s. I I actually thought it was a great attribute to be impatient. The most important thing now is about being a role model. I also think that you have to constantly invest in building relationships. And building relationships means that you give to those relationships, don't just take from those relationships. Yeah, you've talked before just on the vein of like teamwork. You're like, it's not natural. What do, what do you have to do to build a great team? Yeah, you know, people think teamwork is natural. It's it's not. People strive to better themselves. And that's everyone's instinct. And I think it starts with getting a really clear mission or goal. What are we here to do? How do we measure our our team success? Let's be clear. How do we measure our team success as opposed to how do we measure our personal success? And making sure we're constantly focusing on measuring the team progression. How are we progressing? How are we getting better? getting better in our teamwork and getting better in our team output. Those are two different things. I think you have to focus on both. The quality of the teamwork and the quality of the team output have to both be focused on and you need to work on both. And one of them 
is about process. Teamwork is about process. How much time do you spend together? You know, in the new world we live in with people working remotely and people doing their work remotely, I'll bet team output is pretty good. People can work at home. You're home, I'm home, but we're getting something done today. But we're not actually investing in the teamwork part, in the process of trusting each other. And that process of building trust so that we can have honest conversations, not superficial conversations. So I can tell you when you're letting me down, I can tell you honestly when I think what you did wasn't good enough that we can have those kind of conversations because you trust that I don't have an ulterior motive. I'm just trying to help us win. I'm just trying to help us succeed and shine. So we have to find ways of building trusting relationships so that as a team, we can do the hard stuff, not the easy stuff, not the straightforward stuff, the hard stuff. We'll be back after a short break. Stay with us. The buzz around Gen AI isn't going anywhere. Leaders and managers are key to identifying how their companies can use the technology and creating a plan to grow their employees' skills. Learn how Udemy can help at business.udemy.com forward slash Gen AI now. So you and Terry Pierce wrote a book, Clicks and Mortar, best-selling book a long time ago. And you wrote the foreword for his book, a famous book on leadership communications, Leading Out Loud. And it's everything you just said about building trust and communications. Talk to us about how how did you develop your leadership communication skill? Well, so I have a great story to tell about Terry. I hired Terry. I got his name from someone because I was looking for a speechwriter to help me write speeches when I became the president of Schwab. I was chief operating officer. I wasn't CEO yet. And um, so I get this reference to a guy named Terry Pierce, and he's got some great references. So I hire him to help me. So we get together to do our first speech. And I started telling him what I want to talk about. And he starts asking me all these questions about my life. And I say to him, Terry, I didn't hire you to write my biography. I hired you to write my damn speech. And he said, Dave, I can't write your speech if I don't know more about you. I need to know your story. I need to know how you came to believe these things. People don't respond to facts. They respond to stories that they can see themselves in and they can really relate to. So we have to understand the story of how you come to believe the things you believe why you think they're important, and how they're going to change the future of this company. If you throw out a bunch of facts, nobody will be inspired. And I think I'm here to help you inspire people. So that's how I got started with Terry Pierce. And then we worked together for, geez, I I would say almost 10 years. And he was a part of my team. I had him working with all the other leaders in our company to help them become better at their leadership communications. He was really the master of that. So what advice do you have for people to improve their leadership communications, (laughs) especially like in the Zoom world and trust and all that? Yeah, 
Well, you know, I come back to this notion of sharing stories. I told Terry, I want to inspire people, not just motivate them. People can be motivated by rewards, money, promotion. So you have rewards for behavior. That's motivation. Inspiration is the rewards you get for doing something important, for taking on something risky, for doing something really hard where the reward doesn't seem worth the effort, but we want to do it anyway because it's worthy of our talent. It's worthy of our company. It's worthy of our team. We want to do something really valuable. And I think the way you get there is is by painting a picture of what it is we're trying to accomplish and why it's why it's so worthy of our time and effort. What's going to be the benefit to everyone? How do the customers do better? How are they going to be improved by what we're doing? How are their lives improved? Not just how do we make money. If it's just how we make money, people will put a lot of effort into that. But if you really want them to put a huge amount, you want them to commit intellectually and emotionally, then I think you have to look for inspiration, not just motivation. Yeah. And a lot of this requires like storytelling. And you, you've mentioned a couple of times, but relationship building, it requires emotional intelligence. And I, I suspect, again, those are really difficult things. You weren't, nobody taught you that. So how did you figure that stuff out? Was it all the way when you were working on leadership communications or is this something you figured out along the way? Like that seems like something that's changed from what you would have learned in an MBA many years ago versus now. Yeah, I think in some ways, you know, this is not for everybody, Alan. I don't think everybody buys into this stuff. (laughs) I, I think it worked for me. Sometimes it boils down to this idea of being a role model and that you want to demonstrate the kinds of behaviors that you want others to exhibit as well. And and if that means, for example, even though you now are the leader, you're the leader of a group and you don't have to ask questions because you already got the job. So now you can tell everybody all the time what you want them to do and why and blah, blah, blah. But the truth of the matter is, you still could ask a lot of questions and give other people a chance to shine. You can role model the kind of behavior. If you want people to ask questions so that they lead from the middle, show them how, what that looks like and ask questions. Let people on your team stand up and talk about how they came to believe things. Give them a chance to be the leader in the moment. And I, I think that means you've got to kind of put the leader ego in your pocket a little. And this was something that when I became the leader was not easy for me. I was so happy now. Oh, I'm the leader. I get to to give all the speeches and say everything and do all this stuff. And part of how I got to understand this was when I became the co-CEO at Schwab, Chuck actually hated giving speeches. And one of the reasons he hated giving speeches was because he was dyslexic. He couldn't even read notes very well. So he always worried about about screwing up. So I said to Chuck, look, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do like what I would call sort of a fireside chat. And you and I are going to sit on the stage together and I'm going to ask you questions and you're just going to speak from the heart. And it'll be so much better than a speech, Chuck, because it'll be what you really believe. And everybody will be so inspired by that. He said, okay, I'll give it a try. And so we did that the first time. And he loved it. He loved doing it because he did shine. He he is and was 
a very genuine guy who was really passionate about doing the right thing for the customer. And of course, now here I am, I'm not telling anyone anything, I'm just asking the questions. And everybody respected me even that much more because I wasn't the teller, I was the asker. And Chuck was shining. And I was up there creating that platform for him. And I think that was some of our finest moments together. What I hear you saying is about being genuine, right? And this honest, open conversation and communicating with clarity are all of the things that people should be practicing today about their leadership communication skill. Yeah. And I think there has to be time. You have to find time, I suppose. If everything is a group conversation on Zoom, like, you know, uh, six people on a Zoom call, and there's never one-on-one conversations. I think you have to invest some time just talking to your colleagues and asking them how they're doing and getting to know them and building something of a relationship, not just transactions. And I know this is hard. I don't do enough of it today. I'm saying this to you and I'm sitting here thinking, oh yeah, how much of that do I really do today? And I'm thinking, I need to do more of that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like so many of these things, they're easy to say, but very hard to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think if you're a leader, you you really want to inspire people to understand there's a difference between managers and leaders. And people say, well, managers, leaders, isn't that the same thing? No. Managers, I believe, get things done that are supposed to get done. Leaders get things done that really weren't supposed to get done, but they got them done anyway. And that's the fundamental difference is that Leaders need to inspire people to reach a level of commitment and energy and input that gets things done that were really hard, really hard. And management alone, uh, you know, a lot of times it's just not enough. So Dave, can someone be good at both a manager and a leader or are people more inclined to one or the other? What What have you seen? No, I think you can be good at both. I think that people start out, I think, trying to become good managers. And that's clarity, that's task identification and clarity, designing the team, putting them together, getting them working, understanding what it is we're trying to do. That's the foundation of clarity in management. Then getting people to commit to a goal bigger than themselves, a bigger a bigger task at hand comes from inspiration. And that's more about role modeling and getting people to buy in. And I think you have to understand that management, if you're really trying, you know, the course I taught at Wharton was a leading breakthrough change, not incremental change. That's management. Incremental change is management. The breakthrough change, the hard stuff, the big stuff, the risky stuff, that takes more than just management, I believe. I believe that takes leadership. So that's how you build on that. I've heard you articulate this um, so clearly, but can you just maybe a little riff on why is change so hard? Yeah, people don't want to change, Alan. That You know, everybody says they want to change, but they really don't. It's, I'm comfortable. I, I want to work hard. I'm willing to work hard, but I want to do things the way I've always done them. This is the comfortable path for me. And I feel good about this because I really know what I'm doing. And really breakthrough change is risky. There's a risk of failure. If you're reaching for big goals, maybe it's not going to happen. Maybe it's not going to work. And then what? We put all this effort in 
and it did, and we didn't get the payoff. But I think that's a path worthy of a level of energy in life that that we can't always just go for the sure thing and what's right in front of us. Sometimes it's exciting and it's not for everybody, I suppose, but for some of us who want who have a little bit of craziness in them, reaching for the bigger challenges is what gets you excited every day and makes life as exciting as it can be. Yeah. And I've heard you say organizations are built for repeatability and scale, not for change. That's right. There you go. They resist change. They really resist change. Well, think about it. Isn't that the opposite of repeatability and scale? Like you're doing the same thing over and over at scale, but you've got to take the big, bold bets and put a formula in place to make them work. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just going to move with the market. You've got your share. You're going to keep your share. You're going to move with the market. But if you really want to take share away from others, if you want to look for the open space in the market that no one occupies, that's hard stuff. That's that's where the big payoffs happen. You know, when we were doing so well at discount brokerage at Schwab and we had to decide whether we were going to be a victim of the internet or we were going to completely reinvent our company around the internet, that was a choice we had to make. And that was a really hard choice because we had the choice of continuing to do what we knew how to do or jump into this whole new world where it was risky as hell, whether we would succeed whether our customers would like it. And the guys who didn't make that shift, those companies that we used to, that Schwab competed with in the 19, early 90s, the late 80s and 90s, the companies we competed with, they don't exist anymore. They're gone. Well, it's pretty clear how the movie played out, Dave. And I think a lot of the lessons that you captured in in your book, Stacking the Deck, I think they, not only your experiences doing it, but your, you know, other case studies and you have examples from Howard Schultz at Starbucks. And I think really good stories. I think anybody that's thinking about leading transformational change, big, bold change, driving new innovation, that book is is a must read for people to get your lessons. Thank you, Alan. To apply. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So let's let's talk about the um MBA. And I'm just curious. So we, we live in this new world of lifelong learning and you've got to be, you know, they say you got to learn forever. And, and I'm wondering, is the MBA is this kind of monolithic thing? You go away for a couple of years, then you go back and work. What do you think it looks like in say 2030 and beyond? Where's this headed? The old playbook said you have to do this. That, you know, is there a new playbook? And there are lots of people that are thinking about it. what do you think? Well, you know, I, I'm a product of the MBA curriculum. And I'm a great fan of the MBA curriculum. I, I think the things you learn getting your MBA, whether it's finance or accounting or economics or information technology or management and leadership, those are all important things to learn and you need to learn them. But there are lots of different ways to learn them. Now, if you go into an MBA program at one of the top MBA schools, then what you come out with is a curriculum, education, but also a certification, a degree, a brand that you carry with you when you go on job interviews. It says something about you if you graduate from a Wharton, a Harvard, a MIT, a school of that nature. But there are lots of people who go to other institutions for their MBAs where the institutional pedigree is not quite as much of a showcase. 
And what they get is a great curriculum, but I think you're better off learning these kinds of things in online courses where you don't have to take two or three years off of work and come out owing $150,000, $200,000 of loans over a couple of years of non-working. That's my view. I used to give a speech to undergraduates in the College of Liberal Arts at Penn. I, I'd be speaking, to them, how, how many of you plan to take an accounting course while you're here at Penn? Nobody raises their hand. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. How many of you plan to work in a company after you're done? 90% of the people raised their hand. And I would say, okay, if you were going to live in Italy for the rest of your life, would you learn Italian? Everybody says, yes, of course, you'd have to learn Italian. I said, what do you think the language of business is? It's accounting. It's numbers. And today, there's so much more of that kind of stuff that you simply need to know. You need to understand information technology and how that works. You need to understand economics and finance. You need those skills if you want to be in the business world and you want to be a leader in the business world, not a functionary person in the business world. Yeah. And, and just to extend that, Dave, you need to be a lifelong learner. In other words, you you don't believe that you can go learn any of this stuff now and then just apply it for 40 years, right? Oh, I, I, I totally agree with that. The world is changing so fast. I think there's not enough easily identified education for people. I think sometimes you struggle. You go online to try to figure out where where am I going to find the stuff I need to learn And it can be a challenge to figure out which courses are really the ones you want to take, whether they're free or whether you pay for them. You need to find those and take them. And it's worth it's worth the time and effort. I have a few good ideas for people, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) I bet you do, Alan. (laughs) If anybody anybody listening wants to, uh, you know, you can send me an email. I have some ideas. I can even get you a world class course by Dave Patrick. I may need to email you, Alan, and get some identify some ideas to help me get my education back on track of where I need to be. Well, on that vein, let's, uh, here's the question we ask everybody as we sort of bring this to a close. What are you curious about in learning today? Well, I want to have a better understanding of where the trends are on the internet. I want to, you know, some of the cloud computing, I don't completely understand how that technology works. And some of the There's a whole bunch of computer stuff that my kids do and my grandchildren are using. And I'm not I'm not familiar enough with that. How about curiosity and learning outside of business, pleasure, hobbies, fun, family? Oh, boy, Alan. Um, You know, as a grandfather of five grandchildren, I'd like to know more about child psychology and how to inspire children. What's the current thinking on on how you break through to children? How do you work with children as an adult? I was a psychology major, and I took all kinds of psychology classes. I don't ever remember any of them being how to be the best grandparent you can be. I like that psychology class. <laughs> well, I noticed you've uh, you've dedicated a number of books to your grandkids. Yeah, well, they're the next generation. So I would say that puts you in rare territory right there. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. That was Dave Potrick with us on our podcast. Thank you so much for listening to Leading Up, a podcast from Udemy. If you've learned something new, tell a friend about this show. Follow the podcast on your favorite podcasting app, such as Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher. That way you never miss an episode. 
To learn more about Leading Up or how Udemy can help you close skill gaps and move business forward, visit business.udemy.com. The Leading Up podcast is produced by Udemy in partnership with Pod People. Special thanks to our production team, Alex Vickmanis, Amy Machado, Brian Rivers, Danielle Roth, and Carter Wogan. Our original theme is by Soundboard. <laughs>